what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. With me, as always, is Chris. Hello, everyone. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing good. Doing good. It's a little warm yeah. outside. Got a hot summery day, so it is. We're in the midst of uh, the summer blockbuster season, but uh, fortunately today we are discussing something that is not a summer blockbuster. So That's I'm true. Actually, both the films we'll be talking about are not really what you would consider box office summer fair. True. Um, one of the films doing fairly well at the box office. We'll talk about in a little bit. But neither of them are ones you would definitely see as being big draw films in the summertime. It is. It does seem like a lot of our episodes around this time of year, we are talking about some of these big sure. superheroes, Star Wars, some other big movies. Which is fun. It's fine. It's good to have a break. It's nice to have a break. And that's what today's episode is. is we are going to be reviewing two films uh, that are out now. Uh, one in limited release, one a little wider. Uh, first, we'll be discussing the film Tully, which is directed by uh, Jason Reitman, written by Di Bilo Cody. And uh, starring Charlize Theron. Then we'll be moving on to hear kind of a one-sided review as Chris is going to be talking uh, about the film Hereditary. And basically the goal of that conversation is for me to decide whether I should even bother trying to venture into (laughs) movie theater to see this because I am kind of a wimp when it comes to big horror movies. Okay. So that's the two films we'll be reviewing Then we'll move into a couple of movie news items, some uh, interesting projects I've been reading about. I want to share some stories about that we'll discuss. Then we end up the show with each of us giving a film that we'd like to recommend. You either check out online now or when, in the case of mine, when it comes available here in the very near future. So, Chris, that's our agenda for today. Sound good to you? Yes. I say let's go ahead and get started then with our first review. It is the film Tully. I'm here to take care of you. I'm just not used to people doing things for me. Your 20s are great. But then your 30s come around the corner like a garbage truck at 5 a.m. Girl skill. No, we don't. We might look like we're all better, but if you look close, we're covered in concealer. You're convinced that you're this failure, but you actually made your biggest dream come true. Director Jason Reitman and writer Diablo Cody have teamed up twice before. First, they were together with Juno, which did pretty well. You may have heard of that movie. Next, they did Young Adult, which was received well, but maybe not as well known throughout uh, the world. People, do, I mean, saw it, but it's not quite as well received as Juno. Now they've teamed up again with Tully, and it stars somebody who was also in Young Adult, Charlize Theron. And here she plays... Um, Let's see, what was her name? Marlo. Marlo, who's a mother of two, and she's about to be the mother of three. And when she is the mother of three, her brother, who's more well off, says, you know what? I think we should hire you a night nanny to help with your newborn. Then the movie kind of explores what it's like to be a mother of three and the trials and tribulations of motherhood as well as being in a marriage and just, you know, kind of balancing those things. 
Alan, you having seen the other two, and now you've seen this movie as well, mm-hmm. how do you think it fits into the Jason Reitman, Diablo Cody canon? And what are some of your thoughts of the film overall? Sure. Um, so I, as far as how it fits in with the other films that this same team, writer-director team have done, so the two others you mentioned, Juno and Young Adult, um, I think this is my favorite of those three. It is interesting to see the theme, the themes that's carried over between those three films. You have uh, strong, uh, independent women at different stages of life. In Juno, you've got you know, the teenager kind of starting to crest into some form of, uh, of adulthood and trying to wrestle with some of the obligations that come along with that. Young adult, you've got someone who is clearly in their adult phase, but yet cannot let go of their younger years. And then in Tully, you've got, you know, the mother and the playing the role of the wife and the mother and the caregiver, while also a career person herself and all the challenges that that poses with it. So it's interesting thematically to see that these these two, uh, Jason Reitman, Diablo Cody, kind of have a an interesting di- uh, uh, just a dynamic with the films they've worked on together. I almost see them a little bit as a trilogy so far. I mean, I think, I think there's enough that. similarities where sure. you could see watching them back to back and kind of feeling like there's a consistent f- tone and feel and general themes just at different stages of someone's life. So, um, but of the three, I, it's my favorite. I, okay. I think it's got a lot going for it. Uh, I think is extremely well written, which I want to talk about a little bit later. I think both from a dialogue standpoint, from a natural performance standpoint, and then there's some interesting storytelling elements that are used throughout the film that I think really set it apart and make it really interesting. Um, I I, I really admired the film. I had a great time with it. I've seen it twice. Uh, I think it has a lot to say. I think there's a lot of thematic, uh, interesting themes to cover in it. And holds up on a second viewing? Absolutely holds up on a second viewing. And I could see how some people watching it the first time may think it wouldn't hold up on a second viewing, but it absolutely does. There's a lot, there's a lot of nuance to the film that is interesting to go back a second time and rewatch and pick up on that that would not have been as obvious the first time around. Um, yeah, so no, I, I actually really, really like the film. It's one of the better films I've seen in, in a good while, so... With all three films, Juno, Young Adult, and now Tully, there are elements of drama, but there's also elements of comedy. Yeah. Um, I would say maybe of the three, I'm not sure what your opinion would be, but I guess Juno would maybe have more comedic elements. It did. And then yeah. it kind of like goes down a little bit for Young Adult, and mm-hmm. there's still some comedic elements, but they're definitely kind of darker comedic yes. elements. How would have, And then the balance of comedy versus drama and totally because there are some funny moments there are some funny there are some funny moments and i think that's where i credit the screenwriter and that it's just you know most of the funny moments are just dialogue really interesting pointed uh very authentic dialogue that just come across as very humorous um I'd say it's probably humor-wise about right where a young adult was. I mean, okay. I don't think it's very different than that. It definitely is not a comedy. So I do want to think – I think that – I don't know how this film's being marketed. I haven't really seen any of the trailers or anything. But if it's being marketed as a comedy, that's a little off. It, it has some humor. It has some interesting, uh, funny moments and some great dialogue um, that really kind of keep it lively. But at the end of the day, this is a this is a pretty serious movie about a pretty serious topic. And, um, you know, motherhood, responsibilities, adulthood, several things that kind of all come to bear throughout the film. So what, what were your thoughts on the film? I've got a few nitpicks and some other strong likes I had I want to call out, but I'd love to hear what, what your thoughts are. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty high on this film. I've only seen it once, mm-hmm. um, but 
my experience watching it. I, I, I really liked it. It's, you know, the subject matter that we've kind of said that it was about, you know, parenting, raising children, coming to terms with being an adult and maybe having to leave behind, you know, some of the things, the idealism that you had when mm-hmm. you were a teen or when you were in college. Um, those themes have been talked about and discussed before. I think what was refreshing for me is in something that weighs more heavily on the drama side. Mm-hmm. Um, they did it in a unique and interesting manner. Yes. Um, as, and because things that have been done, like a movie we reviewed probably two years ago, While We're Young, which is a Noah Baumbach movie, yes. that talked about you know Ben Stiller struggling with being a filmmaker and kind of maturing and feeling like he'd lost his edge and Adam Driver being a young, hipper guy. But that was played for laughs, and it was a comedy. Still had some, it was more of a comedy. It still had some the, dramatic yeah, elements in right, it, but sure. it was more of a comedy. Yes. And I really, really liked that movie and responded to it. And I think the reason why is because it had a lot of the comedic elements in it. Whereas mm-hmm. I think if it had just been a drama, I, it's just not something yeah. I think I would have been interested in seeing. And I'll be honest, seeing the trailer for this movie, which I did see it, mm-hmm. the comedic touches that it seemed to have in the trailer made me interested to see it. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, I think it may have been a little bit of false advertising, like you're Obviously. saying. Um the things are funny, but overall, this is more of a drama. But I probably would have been steered away from seeing the movie had I known it was just because I would have thought it was going to yeah. be very. So heavy. maybe they did the right thing by right. marketing it more as a comedy. They reel you in with the comedy. And again, yeah, the first half of the film, I think there is more light moments and more funny dialogue. It, it, it tapers off in the latter half, but I think there's a reason story wise why it sure. does. And, and it I, makes sense. And I feel like. There again, it's in the strength of the writing and the strength of the directing, and we'll get to the acting strength there as well, that it doesn't come across as too heavy-handed. No, and that's what I – because with this subject not. matter, obviously, just could really be heavy-handed and tiring and could make the short run time – it was only an hour and 35 minutes, but it could make that seem like two and a half hours. No, I, I <laughs> and think – And it wasn't. The thing I, would, I was going to say that comparing it to that film While We're Young, which I sure. – yes, I thought about that comparison too while okay. I saw it last night – the thing I think that's different about this is I think um, while we're young, uh, even though the, the idea of older ad- adults kind of yearning a little bit for yes, their past life and when they were younger and more free, the movie wasn't as authentic as I feel like Tully was. Okay. I mean, I felt like I could see myself, people I know, people in my family members in many of these characters very, very easily. And it was... Uh, yeah. While We're Young was an interesting concept and story, and I think the performances were great, and it did have a lighter touch. This, to me, was much, much more real. I, sure. I just felt like even the humor, you know, it was very natural humor. Marlo herself is a very biting, kind of sarcastic woman at times, and that's where most of the humor came from, just some offhanded comments she would make and responses to other people whenever they're uh, not, whenever they're upsetting her or, or saying something that offends her. That's where most of the comedy came from, quite honestly, in a good part of the film. Sure. So I just felt this, the movie was a lot more real. I think that's why I liked it a lot more. I, I thought While We're Young was okay. You liked it a lot better than I did. Right. This film I really, really liked. And I think it was just because it had a real sense of authenticity to it. That, um, and, and again, subject matter, topic, you know, kind of where the film goes and decides to go towards the end it, it is something I think a lot of people could either relate to or probably should better relate to okay. in their own lives. I think it's it's either going to be a people are saying, yep, I've been there, I felt that, I know that, or they're going to be saying, wow, 
I need to pay more attention in my own life to the people around me. That's you're going to come out of this, I think, with one of those two feelings. And I think almost anybody watching it is going to be in one of those camps at some point, uh, which is kind of an interesting film if you think about it that way. So sure. What um, I think, obviously, you and I are both high on this film. I've kind of mentioned in passing the performances. We have Charlize Theron as Marla, the mom. We have Mackenzie Davis as Tully. Mark Duplass is the brother, and then we have Ron Livingston, who's the husband of the Charlize Theron character. Um, So those those main four leads, what do you think of their performances? I thought they were all great. Um, I will say Charlize Theron, I I think, is a very, I don't want to say underrated actress, because, I mean, she has gotten some award recognition and all for other performances, but I still think she's underrated. I mean, I still think she people view her as... A, a, a very uh, glamorous actress and you know some of the roles she plays really play up the, the glamorous side of it but she's not afraid to get get down and dirty with some of her roles and I think this is another one it's probably the fa- my favorite thing I've seen her do she was really good in Monster and that's really what kind of put her on the critical view many years ago and I thought she was great there uh, but that was a much more deeper acting job. This was more of a uh, let's get this grounded in reality character as close as we can, yeah, both in her acting verbally, but also in physicality. I mean, she actually kind of transformed a bit for this role, not as much as she did for Monster, but sure. enough to make this a very living, breathing character and someone we actually feel like we could relate to. So I thought I thought she was great. Mackenzie Davis as Tully, the night uh, nanny, I thought was really good. Um, I mean, she had a certain role and personality to play, and I think she just nailed it. Sure. And uh, Mark Duplass, he has a small role as the brothers Craig, but he, he was fine. He, he was probably the most like how I would expect him to be as a, as a general <laughs> person in this film, but that still worked. I will say Ron Livingston as the, the husband. It's kind of surprising to me. I've seen him in a lot of films. Sure. He, he's always playing a... Fairly similar role. And here he didn't deviate a lot from that, but there was just the nuances in his performance I thought were really impressive I think, in the film. Yeah, the nuances of his performance, even nuancing a character that you've seen Ron Livingston do. So yeah. many, it's kind of just the nice, schlubby guy. Who's, yeah, nice you know, guy. Just you know, nothing yeah. really extravagant going and on. I, I think he was in Office Space, Oh, right? yeah, he was yeah. the lead actor so in Office like, Space, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, just the nuances of it, and some of the stuff that's in the script that requires him to do. And yeah, I was impressed with him. Yeah, I was. Um, Charlie's there, and I wasn't surprised she was good. She was really awesome. I wasn't familiar with Mackenzie Davis really, so she was, um, she was nice to see, and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. she's really good. Um, and Mark Duplass, I was thinking about it while I was watching mm-hmm. the movie. I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah. Um, I just like most of the stuff he's in. And there's something about because I was thinking while I was watching the movie, what if. What would make it not right for Mark Duplass to be the husband and Rodden Livingston to be the brother? And I'm like, just, you know, just yeah, what if we just sure, switch those swap two the roles. And I'm like, nope, mm-hmm. that wouldn't work for me. And the reason why is I think it's one of those rare instances where Mark Duplass's role is very small, but it requires it requires him to stand toe to toe with Charlize Theron yes. and the conversation they have kind of in a tiki bar at his house and mm-hmm. where he's announces kind of the idea of night nanny, something about being able to take that and just, he just does that really well. Well, I bought them as brother and sister right. because and again, I, think, I felt like they knew how to kind of jab and spar with one another. And, and he's got, he's got, cause his background's yeah. kind of in comedy and stuff. And he's got that timing, but yet it can be done in a serious I, I, I think Ron Livingston is much better, better playing a subdued, sure. underplayed role 
where Mark Duplass is going to play a little larger, a little bigger, a little louder roles. And I think right. it just worked really good for the two of them, the, the spots they had him in. So, no, I thought all the acting was great. The kid actors, let me just say, you know, I'm always yeah. critical of kid actors in films. It's a tough thing. You've got um, two kids in this film that were both really good. They were very natural. And even mm-hmm. one kid in particular, the child that played Jonah, Asher mm-hmm. Miles Felicia, I mean, it was a tough role. Yeah. I mean, he had to play a child with some emotional uh, 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 issues and some uh, some sensitivity issues, just kind of reacting to everything going on around him. And I thought he was really good. He was very, very believable and just – it was a tough role. I'm sure it was a very uh, kind of troubling role to play, but he really pulled it off. So I've got to give both the kids credit. I thought they were – they would have hurt this film if I don't think they had been a good natural performance. And they're important to it because yes. they are the kids that she has to mother. Right. I mean the newborn, obviously, there's not much acting yeah. to do there. But the other two – I feel like that was something I appreciated about the movie too, is that it didn't push performances or stereotypes. Right. And I'll get no. into that. Like with the two kids, you know, the one, the little girl, um, I believe her name is, her name is Sarah. She's kind of the, you know, the nerdy kid and mm-hmm. you know, she's smart and stuff and can make comments. And she's the old, I think Jonah may be slightly younger. Uh, I, I couldn't tell, but yeah, you can't, Close really, in it's, age. it's not really you know, yeah. spelled out, but anyways, um, so she's the one kind of kid, but they don't stereotype it to where she's always making these really brilliant comments. Or anything. Right. And then, like you said, um, and they never really spell out um, Jonah's diagnosis or anything mm-hmm. because that's not what the film's interested no. in. It's just like, yes, this is something that can be in a family. He has some learning challenges. He has something. And they just kind of let it be at that. And we're yet, more interested in the impact it has on the, family, the family and, and their mothering and parenting relationships. Right. Yeah. And it, and you know, I think as a kid, somebody, you know, Jonah, play, the Asher playing the Jonah character, he could very easily do it over the top or it could just yeah. be too, I don't know, too on the nose. And for me, it wasn't. Yeah, um, no, two, I'm, I'm with you on that. Two other things that I'll kind of, and then I don't know whether you say it's the screenwriting, the acting or the director, we'll just say it's all three, but um, how they handled um, Ron Livingston's performance as the husband, Drew, um, I felt like, you know, in this movie, they are focusing a lot on Marlo mm-hmm. and you see her bear the weight of, you know, doing a lot of the family responsibilities. Whereas Drew, you know, he's, he goes off on trips all the time and he's very involved in his work. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't demonize him. Nope. They don't leave him off the hook and be like, oh yeah, you know, maybe you should help out. But they, I think they do a really good balance of just kind of saying, this is life and this can happen. Mm-hmm. And hey, it's kind of like a PSA in a, PSA yeah. in a way. Hey, kind of be aware of this. Um, and so I thought that was, a, I was pleased at how they portrayed I you know, agreed. that. Absolutely. Um, there's also, we mentioned, you know, Jonah has learning struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a situation where, things are not going well at his school and the mom has to go in for a teacher conference with the principal Mm -hmm. and it could have gone the way of demonizing the principal saying, you know, your kid's not a good fit or something like, and it is a very tense, tense couple of scenes. But there again, I feel like once I, I feel like you can just see like, no, this is a real life situation. It's just kind of, something that's happening that people around you are mm-hmm. having to deal with and come to terms with. And I, I was impressed with how they handled the portrayal of educational institutions and a principal. Yeah. And I thought that that was, that was well done. I, I completely agree. Now let me take a little bit of a, a turn and just mention one other really strong positive for me that 
is outside of acting and story and all as much. Okay. Um, so Jason Reitman as a director. Yes. Uh, one thing I've realized with him, and I realize I haven't seen these last couple movies. They weren't as well received. Okay. Uh, Men, Women, and Children and Labor Day. Oh, you, saw, Labor you Day. saw Labor Day and did not care for it. <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, the Men, Women, and Children did not get well received by critics or audiences in general. Well, that stars Adam Sandler, so we could just blame that on Adam Sandler, right? <laughs> Let's just do that. Uh, but the thing I've noticed with the other films, Juno, Young Adult, and now Tully, and even Up in the Air actually had some elements of this, the use of music. Mm. So I will say that, you know, I'm a big fan of how people use music in films. I think it's really an important aspect. There are a couple of filmmakers we have alive today and working that are really known for like utilizing interesting and great music. Quentin Tarantino. Sure. uh, Wes Anderson. Yes. I would even say, um, uh, you know, uh, Cameron Crowe kind of back in the day. I mean, you know, uh, even though his films aren't quite there anymore. In general, he just has a really great knack for using music. Sure. Jason Reitman. I actually think belongs in that category, but for a different reason. Yeah, but for a different reason. His music is very understated. Mm -hmm. If you notice, I mean, there's no call out big musical moment in this film, but there's a lot of music going throughout the entire music, the the film. And it's all very subtle. It's all very understated. It's not in your face, big dramatic swelling music. It is music that carries you around and it kind of helps reinforce some of the emotions that, that are being felt at the time. And it's also just really interesting there was a didactic music where you know the music that's playing in the scene or no it's not didactic dialectic. it's di- di- what is it again i think dia- dialectic dio dio uh, no, diegetic diegetic, diegetic. Music. okay sorry <laughs> it's vocabulary di- day <laughs> diegetic music diegetic. Yeah, that's the idea where it's music that's actually playing in the in scene, the scene. Yeah. that the actors are hearing the characters are hearing and we're hearing as well sure. as opposed to a piped in soundtrack that the characters would not be hearing right there's a lot of that in this movie and it's all, I think somewhat impactful. Um, sure. There's a scene where the two lead characters, Marlo, Charlize Theron and Tully by Mackenzie Davis are driving and they're taking a road trip in, uh, in a way. And it's interesting. They put together this montage where it's just is cut, it all cut. Cindy Lauper songs. It is every single song from Cindy Lauper's album. She's so unusual. Okay. And I mean, you just think it's kind of random that it's like they're just cutting these montages of them driving and it's just like three, four seconds a clip. But as it's skipping through the album, it's like it's playing the entire album as they're traveling uh, to this destination. And again, but you think, okay, well, that's kind of slight. That didn't really have much to do with it. But you really think about and after especially after processing the movie a little bit. Okay, yeah, Cindy Lauper. I'm sure it was a big album when Marlo was a child or, or growing up. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of messages in a Cindy Lauper type of album about female roles and mm-hmm. all that. So, just again, there's very intentional use of music. Sure. Um, in Young Adult, there's a big musical element to it where um, Charlize Theron's character in that film as well. Um, I think early in the film, she's driving and she turns on a song. It's a song by a teenage fan club from back in the early nineties that I was a big fan of that song when I was in college as well. And she like, you know, just crank it up and that was like her kind of callback music song and she's singing it the loudest she can. It's just, I think he's got a really great way of weaving interesting use of music into films, but it's never from a trying to manipulate you. It's a, 
I want this to help tell the story a little bit. This is going to help inform where the characters are and what they're thinking at the moment. So I just think he's got a really good hand with music. It's just not as obvious as you may have with a Wes Anderson, Tarantino and some of these others. So um, I I will credit the music. There was some great use of some great songs in in the, in the film as well. Yeah. The one that I'll call out um, because I remember, (laughs) yeah, they used it. Um, the Blue Hawk or Jayhawk singing blue, yes, uh-huh, um, which blue. means a lot to uh, Marlo. They used it, I think, at least twice, twice in the movie. But yeah, yeah I was just, it kind of jolted me because I was like, oh, wow. It's kind of, I mean, the director, where I'm old enough now where I get the references they're making. Yeah. So that was a song that I really liked in college. So yep. I was kind of like, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, they, she heard it at one time and or it's just playing it at one time in the house. And then another time they hear it in a bar and she comments about how it's like an important song for her and why. And right. yeah, it really, it plays a role. The music plays a role in the film, which is what I always, always like to see. So did you have any misgivings, I, anything I critical? Actually, I was going to, I've kind of touched on scenes, but I was going to um, kind of have my two favorite standout scenes, you know, which can show you how much I like the movie that I can say like overall it was good. But yeah. then I have two scenes that really made it for me. I actually... Don't, which is surprising me because I could tell you were high on the movie, but it's odd to me that maybe I'm actually going to be more favorable in the movie than you are. <laughs> no, I don't think so because um, actually, the more I think about it, I don't really have any real misgivings. I don't. I don't really have um, any misgivings at all. I, I thought it was pretty darn near a perfect film, like perfect okay. length, perfect acting roles, uh, perfect story. Again, I cannot say enough about the writing that we saw here. Diablo Cody, I think, is really evolving. Even though she's still sticking in the same genre, yeah, I think she's getting better. I mean, where Juno, Juno kind of caught the zeitgeist at the moment because yeah. it was kind of an interesting, quirky film. I think there was a lot of really clever lines that people just kind of stuck with. And but I think she's moved past the I want to just come up with as many cool one-liners as possible, <laughs> and I just want to write really good human dialogue. And sure. I think she's done that. So. There are a few moments in the film, if I had to give any slight little misgiving, there are a few moments where I feel like some of that dialogue starts to go a little more back into Juno category. Just some interesting offside conversations or some comments Marlo will make that are very pop culture specific. Okay. It's like, okay, you know, just don't go too far with that because you're starting to sound a little more like the Juno days where everything's kind of this really catchphrase uh, referencing pop culture in some way. And that, sure. that could get really old in this film. Luckily they don't push it too far. I mean, it, it, it happened maybe a couple of moments where I just winced a little bit, but it moved on and it was fine. Um, other than that, I've got no critical feedback at all. So <laughs> what, what would you want to call it as a couple standout scenes? Well, for you? The two scenes that stick out in my, in my mind, um, I kind of referenced how it was my favorite depiction of the educational system, but when the son goes to the new school with the mom and he's having a tough time there and a teacher comes out and mm. interacts with him as it's pretty gold um, yeah. because of what it does for the movie overall, but just the acting and that guy, like his acting was awesome. He was only in it for like mm-hmm. a minute or something, but just that scene, you know, it was yeah. just a really well done scene and you see things about the mom, you see things about the kid, just it communicated a lot. It did. Um, so that, that was kind of a standout. And then I'll say, um, there's a scene at the end, it may be the last scene, um, where the mom is talking to the son. So okay. yep. um, mm-hmm. Marlo and Jonah yes. are talking. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, that's just really, <laughs> really, it was a... kind of a nice way to kind of wrap up the movie and not overdone, 
but just the right amount of, you know, a little bit of sentimentality. Well, it was, it was a very, again, like the rest of the film was a very natural scene. Right. And I bought it both the kid as the actor and, and, and Charlie's there and just, I bought it and it worked. So, so it just like, it was a nice bookend. It's a nice bookend for a film to end on such an awesome note for me. That's one of the reasons why I'm so high on it because I just thought it ended well kind of perfectly. I'll extend. There's actually one scene right after that one. And it's the last shot you see before the credits start. And I think it's actually just a great shot. Okay. It's a, you know, uh, two, two characters, you know, just, you see them and, you know what they're doing and you know why they're doing it. And it just, it just worked coming together. Yes, absolutely. Uh, For a film that did deal with some heavy themes and topics, it it ended. It's nice to see a film that also ends on a very, I think positive note about relationships and about what they've experienced. So um, yeah, no, I love this film. Love it. I was happy to see it a second time. I'd be happy to see it a third or fourth. So um, very, very good. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, I think we might be matched uh, on the on the positiveness. <laughs> yeah, so you know, like I don't really just don't have anything negative to feedback on. Okay, it I guess it, so. to try to try to compete with the uh, fanboy for this movie, if I guess you could say it could you could be a fanboy of Toilet. Um, <laughs> I haven't looked at a list, but I would say this is probably in probably in my top ten favorite movies of the year. Okay. Um, no, I, I, I'm easily it, there may, as well. It may be in the top five. I'd have to like actually look at a list, but it's, it's pretty strong. Yeah. I don't have my list together and to reference, but sure. no, it's definitely near the top for me. I, I just, I mean, we're over halfway through the year. Yeah, and so no, yeah. we are really, really respected this film really, really highly. So that's totally, uh, last I checked, it was playing in select markets, but not playing in a wide release. I don't believe. Um, so that either means that if you live in a big city, or a bigger uh, area with a bigger theater, you might have a chance to see it. Otherwise, uh, you'd be have to wait three or four months to see it online available then. But we do recommend checking it out no matter how you have an opportunity to do so. So now let's move on to our second review, which is the latest horror film, Hereditary. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. It's Grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? Sometimes I swear I can feel her in the room. Oh my God! Chris, this happens time to time. <laughs> where there's a film that one of us gets to see, the other one doesn't, and we don't really have another film that we're going to jointly review. So we're going to turn it over into a very one-sided review. And of course, just like with Tully, I mean, I, I, I don't want you to give away any plot details sure. or anything that's really going to impact perceptions going into the film for anybody who hasn't seen it. And sure. I know it's going to be a little tougher on a one-sided review. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on the film Hereditary um, for a couple reasons. One, it's getting a lot of buzz right now just for being a very interesting and um, quite scary uh, <laughs> horror film that just, just released. Uh, it's the writer and director Ari Oster, who I'm not familiar with at all, so I need to do a little more research on, on, on that individual. Um, but the brief description of the film is, is after, after a family matriarch passes away, the family that's left grieving is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences, and they begin to unravel some dark secrets along the way. Uh, it does star Tony Collette, um, and I believe she's in Gabriel Byrne. 
yeah. uh, as kind of the two bigger names in the film, and then everybody else I think is maybe not as well known actor or actress wise. But so, Chris, without spoiling anything and without you know uh, hinting at too many things. I know you're not the biggest horror fan either. I mean, I, I, I may be a little more of a wuss than you are, but I mean, in general, you and I are not ones to flock out and see no. brand new horror films. If I watch a, a real, truly scary movie, it's normally on a Sunday afternoon with lights on and windows open with the volume as low as possible. <laughs> so sure. uh, why don't you tell me uh, your thoughts on Hereditary and do you think it's worth me stealing up, manning up and going to see it uh, myself? Um. I, you know, I can totally see why Hereditary is getting all the buzz that it is. Um, okay. It is, you know, like you say, it, you can call it a horror movie, but there's there's more going on there. Just like with The Witch, which was kind of a horror movie, but it was kind of like about a family yeah. and how they were interacting. And the, that one was also very period specific, whereas this mm-hmm. one's just like modern day. Um, but like you mentioned, there's the matriarch of the family who dies at the very beginning. And it's kind of the family struggling with grief and with that, her passing away. And it's just interesting to see kind of the family breaking down. Um, It's not a fun watch, I would say. It's not an easy watch. Um, But it, it, it is worthwhile to see if you enjoy difficult cinema, cinema, I guess I should say, Mm -hmm. Um, because it was a tough watch. Um, But the, the cinematography is really good. Um, okay. It's it's a really good looking horror movie. I mean, you know, just the way they frame shots and the lighting and the sets and stuff. It's just very interesting. Um, the acting. I mean, Tony Collette. She is really good. Mm-hmm. She plays Annie, the mother that of the family, and her mom is the one who passed away. Gabriel Byrne. It was nice to see him. Um, yeah, he hasn't really, been in much lately really in a long in a time. Yeah. Um, and it was good to see Gabriel Byrne, and he. He plays Gabriel Byrne. You know, he's kind of yeah. understated, kind of a, you know, he's the father and doesn't say a whole lot, but he's just, he is good in like kind of still being, you know, concerned about the family. Mm-hmm. Um, the two, the two kids, the son and daughter, um, there's Peter and he, who he's played by Alex Wolf. And then, and I've seen him in a couple of things, but um, he's a relative newcomer. And then the newcomer that if you've seen the trailer, you definitely know who I'm talking about. It's the younger girl, um, Millie Shapiro is the mm-hmm. actress and Charlie is her name. And she's the one who like clocks her teeth or whatever like that. And everybody <laughs> sees it in the trailer and it's mm-hmm. really kind of spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, she is spooky. Um, <laughs> and she does. I would love to see like, I'd have to look it up online, like an interview with her or something yeah. to see her like acting natural <laughs> because she just plays such an otherworldly child. Mm. It's just like from the moment you see her, you're like, yeah, she's just kind of disturbing and you're not really sure what's going on there. Um, and I won't get into spoilers, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of potential in hereditary. There's, it is an interesting film. If you like horror movies, suspense movies, thrillers, then yes, this is probably for you. Actually, if you like, I guess what you and I are not really big fans of old school horror movies, like the Friday the 13th or the, Mm. you know, the, the slasher films, then yeah, you probably actually will be bored by this movie because it is more of a mood of dread the entire movie. Just like with The Witch, the way that one starts off, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is just so overbearing. The music makes you really tense. Same here with the music in Hereditary. You just have this sense of (laughs) Mm. things aren't going to go well for this family. It's very depressing, you know, but it is an interesting piece of art. 
I found it worthwhile. I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm as high on it as a lot of critics are. Okay. All right. Um, and I'll say without spoiling anything, a lot of it comes down to what I guess, cause I see it online as being referenced the last 20 minutes. Yeah. I've heard um, a lot of comments just saying that the last, the ending maybe and doesn't I, leave some people or audiences. Uh, yeah. And I don't yeah. know if it's the last 10, 20 minutes, but it's definitely like the last mm. five. Okay. Um, where it just, to me, it seems like it suddenly shifts gears into being more of like a B movie or mm. kind of like, kind of like a slasher movie just kind really? of goes over the top in uh. one instance. And the rest of the movie was being a horror movie or being a so suspense good movie, but being, being restrained, a, yeah. but yet still creating tension and everything. So, okay. I mean, you have to end a movie somehow. Well, but. let me just ask you this pointed question. Sure. Was it scary? And I'm talking like not, you know, a couple of jump scares, boo, you know, type of thing. I mean, was it truly scary? Because again, I'm, 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 I'm still a lightweight on this, man. I, I don't know. <sighs> there are scary moments, yeah. but I think they're, telegraphed enough that it's not like there's sudden jump scares well, I mean, and you kind of see it coming. and the jump so. scares aren't only, honestly it's just stuff that's just overly like creepy you know, i guess that probably bothers me more so uh, well, there, that may be a bad one creep. for that and that's the thing is the way the cinematography is done the way the stuff is shot it's not necessarily it's not a jump scare which that's yeah. what, i don't like jump scares yeah, like horror sure. slasher but the imagery that's in it it does kind of tend to get burned into your All mind right. and is I don't mind the disturbing. jump scare slasher movies those okay. actually I think are more comical than they are scary it's the it's the you know the exorcist is still one that just scares the heck out of me so yeah that's um, that's a tough one that's that's difficult for me so okay um, I'm still undecided whether I'll go out to see it or I would, not I would say I mean if you're interested you know I think the difference in like seeing it on your laptop yeah. after it comes out, you know, through iTunes or something, maybe you don't pay the big bucks and see it in a theater where okay. it's darkened and you can't. Yeah, like, I think that may be the route I go with it yeah. in general. So yeah. that's a little better, a little safer environment for me. Sure. So I mean I um, think the acting with Tony Collette, not that she would probably get nominated for this, but she could because she she does a lot. You know, I'll say <laughs> something else that disappointed me and it's not revealing anything. Sure. If you've seen the trailer you see that Tony Collette is her job appears. She's like kind of an artist yeah, and she does miniatures. Okay. Um, or like she sets up scenes of like, you know, just things right. in everyday I life. That she the works miniatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a really interesting visual thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were really going to use that a lot more. And some people may say, well, that would have been overkill. and We would have gotten really annoyed by it. Well, could be, could possibly have happened. But I thought that was actually going to be more integrated, and it wasn't. And it wasn't. Mm, so that I was a little, I was a little disappointed in that because okay. I really liked that. I guess that would be more of like a Charlie Kaufman movie or yeah. a uh, Michelle Gondry type movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, well, you're yeah. actually probably one of the least enthusiastic people I've talked to about this film or heard online about this film. So that's right. really interesting. Yeah, I guess it, it's just I, I don't know, and it, yeah. I think it all comes down to the ending. Whereas a lot of people mm. have said, you know despite the ending they are still really high on it but i guess like you know unlike tully that was kind of what really won me over was the ending and how everything wrapped up and this one i felt like it it dropped the ball Mm, okay (laughs) interesting 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 all right well that is our reviews then so as chris has said you know hereditary good movie worth seeing but 
He may Not have a everyone. little lesser <laughs> yeah. uh, opinion of it than a lot of the critics are out there right now on this film. And then with Tully, we both are extremely positive, enthusiastic on that film together. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have a couple of movie news items to share. And then we'll end the show with our discussion of our recommendations for the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Local authors, illustrators, and storytellers come together to create Storytime Station at The Mesh. Storytime Station is a video podcast that works as a virtual storybook. Each show features a new children's book and new reader. So gather the whole family to listen, learn, and laugh at Storytime Station on TheMesh.TV. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films on TheMesh.TV. Uh, Alan and Chris here. We spent the first half of the show reviewing two films, the film Tully, and then also Chris did a one-sided review of the film Hereditary. Uh, we're going to move on to some movie news in just a second, but before we do, I did want to take just a moment to remind you of a couple of things going on. First off, you are listening to this show as part of the Mesh.TV network. So the way you find us online is T H E. M-E-S-H, that is TheMesh.TV. That's where you'd find our podcast network, where this show is host, hosted, as, long as well as several others of different topics. Great thing about podcasting is it's all free, and it is all content that you can subscribe to to make sure you receive new episodes on your own automatically every time. We do encourage you to check us out on either the website for the mesh.tv or you can search on Apple's iTunes store for any of the mesh shows, Foot Candle Films included, and find us there to subscribe. Chris, let's move on to our movie news items. I've got th- two first two items I want to talk about. Let's just go ahead and stay in the horror movie vein, if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, I just feel like, you know, we talked about Hereditary. We mentioned horror films. Uh, some couple interesting developments with some films I thought, you know, in the horror vein. Let's go ahead and knock those out while we're, while we're here. Okay. Uh, the film It that was out last year. Yes. Um, I believe I reviewed it. It might have been a one-sided review yes, for me. I hadn't seen it. You hadn't point. seen it. You have seen it since I then. Have. I think your, your, your view of it was probably a little lesser than, than mine. Um, I, was, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a, a pretty good movie. You, I think, had a little more concerns and issues with it. Regardless of what you and I think, uh, it made a lot of money. It, it made <laughs> so, a lot of money. Yeah. And it was obviously the first, it wasn't the first half because the book is not laid out this way, but it was the younger age kids portion of the story that was being told in this movie. Correct. Their intentions were to make this a saga where you have chapter one, chapter two. Now, they didn't call it chapter one in the first movie because I think they were kind of pulling a Star Wars The New Hope. They didn't know <laughs> if it were going to be able to make a part two. So sure. let's just call it it. It had it an ending. You know, it closed the story for that time period. But as much money as it made, yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer. They were going to make a chapter two. And this is when all of the children that were in the first chapter are now adults gotcha. and kind of coming back together. Sure. What I just wanted to kind of mention is that they have completed the casting of all those characters now. So they actually have actors lined up for all seven of the main kids roles from chapter one. Okay. okay? Um, and there are three in particular, very interesting higher profile names to be played in here. So let me see if I can kind of go through these fairly easily. First off, let me just go ahead and mention, um, 
the one that's probably the, the more the standout because it's the sole female in the group. Uh, Beverly Marsh, from right. the character from the first movie, will be played by Jessica Chastain. <sighs> so adding... Where, you know, chapter one, there wasn't really a lot of star power in the movie. It sure. was really based it's on... Now you're adding a pretty pretty high-profile actress in the role. Um, then you've got James McAvoy hmm. playing Bill, Bill, Bill Denbro, who I believe was like kind of the lead, the main right. male boy character in the, in the group. So James McAvoy and uh, Jessica Chastain are kind of your two main leads in the film now. Yeah, that's that's going to be an expensive sequel. This high f- firepower of... Uh, well, let me add one more name stuff. to the mix. Maybe not as high dollar, but still a recognizable name and voice. Uh, you've got uh, Bill Hader hmm. playing the part of Richie Tozier. Okay. So Bill is Richie. Yeah, he's, he's made for that. Yep. So that's your three most recognizable names of gotcha. the group of seven. The other actors all have some different credits to their name, but it's not any... They're, none of them are uh, household names. You've got James Ranson. Uh, is going to be the adult version of Eddie. Jay Ryan um, is Ben Hanscom. Um, hmm. And then Stanley Uris is being played by Andy Bean, um, who was in Transform- the last Transformers movie oh, and maybe I the TV series Here and Now. <laughs> okay. Again, not all actors we're very familiar sure. with, but again, when you've got three fairly big stars – recognizable stars that kind of help and elevate I, the status and of the I film. And I assume the guy who played Pennywise in the first one was coming back and yep. doing Pennywise. Uh, he movie. is coming back. He okay. is still in the makeup and doing his thing there. <laughs> and so. being scary. And being um, scary. I mean, is it the same director as well? I would assume. Um, I believe so, yes. Okay. I believe it is. And I don't uh, remember offhand who that was because I have slept in the last couple of days and I don't <laughs> remember the name. Uh, our intern forgot to give me that note. Oh, so, no. man. Okay. Well, whoever it was that directed it, the first one, <laughs> yes, is directing it, the chapter two as well. Okay. So, I just thought, interesting casting. Is I was it, kinda, Do we have a release date or is it? Uh, September 9th, 2019. Okay, 2019. So, we're still like over a year away. Got you. Still okay. a ways to go. But, interesting cast. Yeah, I guess they just finished the casting, so now. Yes, yeah. so now they're ready to get to work on it. Got you. Okay. So, that's... Uh, Interest. I mean, where do you stand on wanting to see the second chapter? As lukewarm as you were on the first one, or, or not as impressed? I mean, do you I want mean, to see this continue, or you really could care less? I mean, I kind of already know the story because sure, the you've read the um, book. Yeah, I'm probably not that interested in it. But if I hear if people are as as excited about this second one as they were about the first one, I'll probably still see it because I'm thinking maybe part of my um, hesitation or just maybe a little bit of boredom. With the first one is, I thought they lost a lot of the dynamic because they stayed just in the past. Where I like yeah. the flip flopping like back the and forth, mixing the, the two did. time periods yeah. in the book. So I think now maybe it'll seem to have gathered steam because they've laid all the groundwork yeah. with the first movie. So maybe this one will really Could take be. off, so to speak. So I mean, I'm interested. I'm you know, but I'm not clamoring for it. I guess. Yeah, I think in hindsight, the thing that I, I generally enjoyed the first one. The things, that, the parts that lost me is anytime they relied too much on CGI for some uh, of the, the the effects, for sure. some of the uh, scary moments. And just CGI just doesn't scare me. <laughs> There's nothing about CGI <laughs> stuff that scares me. But you know that's where the 1980s version, the TV version, right. didn't have any CGI. And granted, yeah, it's corny. My kids actually watched some of it hmm. uh, a while back, and they're like, "Ugh, this is pretty bad." And in hindsight, yeah, you watch it; it's not very good. But at least the moments that were scary, it was more practical effects and just seemed more sure. real 
So uh, CG, uh, CG stuff in horror just never works for me. So that's my biggest, that was my biggest complaint with the film. But overall, I thought it was handled pretty well story-wise. Let's move on to our second story, uh, also in the horror vein. And this is okay. one, I kind of feel like I'm continuing a saga here because I have mentioned this film at least twice in past, past discussions. But we're getting really close to release date. Mm-hmm. And there was a question I was asking one of the last times we talked about this film about what tone and what was going to be the style of this film? Because I was really curious. Okay. It is David Gordon Green's Halloween. Uh, um, David Gordon Green, a director we both like most mm-hmm. of his work and you know have really admired certain, certain films he's made. If nothing else, an interesting filmmaker to follow. Um, he's definitely got a visual style. He does. Style of making. So when we heard he was working on Halloween, a, a basically a continuation of the original uh, Halloween film from the late 70s, and Danny McBride was helping co-write it and, and all. You know, I didn't really know where they were going to go with this. I'm like, all right, are we really going to see a true slasher horror film in the Halloween saga? And are they going to play it completely straight? Or is there going to be some elements of subversiveness to it or even humor to it? I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Well, the trailer was released, I guess, about a week or so ago. And I think it's pretty safe to say they're going the straight harm route for sure. Yeah, I'd, I watched the trailer. And yeah, if you can believe what the trailer said, yeah, it looks like they're going the straight horror route. Not trying to do anything meta, not trying to do anything really odd or quirky with it. It's truly a... They are picking up from the first film. So this is still like 30-some years later. But they're almost pretending like the other sequels didn't happen. So we have... He's been um, in prison the whole time. He's been in prison the whole time. Jamie Lee Curtis is back, and she's playing age-appropriate compared to where she was back in the late 70s. She is now that much older. But it seems like she, uh, from the trailer, she hasn't quite gotten past the events of that that first Halloween film. Right. Um, but again, seemed to be ignoring all the sequels because, of course, we had sequels where she had interacted with. She actually came back in a couple of the sequels and had some further relationship impacting with the Michael Myers character. That seems to be all kind of wiped clean. This is really, yeah, there was that one horrific night. And now 30, 40 years later, they're still kind of wrestling with it and worried about what could happen if he comes out. I think the trailer looks Interesting. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, I've never been excited about what, looking forward to a slasher film. I'm actually kind of interested and excited to see this one. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I'm kind of on the same page. You and I we talked about when we were the other movies, Hereditary and stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm generally not excited, but because it was David Gordon Green, I was interested. And after watching the trailer, <laughs> kind of like you, I don't know that I'll be going to see it in the theater. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, because. Um, I imagine they're going to be because it looks like yeah, jump scares are going to be the name of the game, and him popping out of and as many and creative like murder deaths as possible. Right. So yeah, dumping people's teeth over a bathroom stall door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I am interested in how they've turned Jamie Lee Curtis's character into basically like Ripley from the Alien movies. It's like you know Mike Myers is the alien mother queen yeah. <laughs> and she is Ripley and she's like all right it very well could be bring it you know yeah. she's kind of like so that's an interesting dynamic to take with the film um i do want to see it i just don't know if i can make myself see it in the theater cuz i'll be like hiding behind the seats in front of me <laughs> but um i am i am interested to see it so 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really curious. I mean, there were enough interesting moments in the trailer to say, all right, I feel like they're really trying to do something good here. I mean, sure. I really feel like they're 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 trying to make you know, both visually and storytelling wise to try to do something really interesting. I hope so. I would love to see this be a little bit of the uh, refinement of the slasher movie formula. We've had some films over the past 20 years that have tried to push the format a little bit, try to bend the genre a bit. I'd really like to see a high quality, really film film focused version of a slasher movie and see what it comes out to. So I, I'm, I'm anxious to see it. I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. It does come out October 19th, a nice 12 days before Halloween. So kind of a good timing on that. All right. The last uh, thing I'm going to mention here uh, on a, on a news item is another person I've talked about several times over the years in our show that I'm fascinated with his career and curious what happened to it. <laughs> And that's okay. Eddie Murphy. Okay. Eddie Murphy is a, someone who, of course, in the 80s, he could do no wrong. The Golden Child was maybe a little wrong, but, you know, it was overall it did okay money-wise, I think. You get into the 90s, and we started to kind of lose Mr. Murphy a bit. Sure. Um, and a lot of family fare that didn't really perform Bowfing- very well. Bowfinger. Bowfinger was an exception. That was one that just kind of did pop out, and, and he was, it was funny, and it was a good movie. But most everything else is pretty good forgettable. good as the donkey and Trek. All right, I'm not counting animated voice work. I'm talking, you know, really you. like he's a starring. Sure. Yeah, he's had a couple of bit parts and a couple of supporting sure. roles. But as far as his movies, sure. just I've haven't seen. been there. They've all been these Disney uh, kind of really light family movies that just didn't really perform well in the box office and didn't perform well with critics or anything else. He had a, a supporting role in uh, what was the film Dreamgirls. Right. That there was some buzz at that time that maybe he was going to get some award recognition. I don't think he did. I don't think he did. Um, but, you know, that was probably the, his last little moment of, hey, it's Eddie Murphy, and maybe he's making a comeback. But then he disappeared again for a while. Sure. So there is a film uh, being made. It's going to be a Netflix film. Oh. Uh, could and be it's, a good or bad thing. Could be good or bad. It used to be a couple of years ago, if you said Netflix film, you're like, oh, it's going to be good. Now they've put out some some movies to kind of balance the good and the bad. Right. So you can't really say it's going to be a you great got film Ocho, now. you got the Meyerowitz stories, but then you've also got like... Are you going to rip on the Adam Sandler again? Adam Sandler so, story, so, yeah. All right. There's That's also. twice Chris Fry has ripped on Mr. Sandler. So just I for mean, the record to be yeah. said. Sorry, Adam. Um so Eddie Murphy is signed on to star um, in a film. Five. Correct. Yeah. The, the movie on Netflix is called Dolomite is my name. Exclamation <laughs> point. Um, it's by Craig Brewer, who hustle and flow. Right. Also black snake moan. One of my favorite films. Right. Um, he also it, did footloose. He, he did do the remake, remake. of footloose. Sorry. Yeah, got to clarify that. He didn't do the <laughs> Kevin Bacon Footloose. He did the remake. Never saw that. So I'm, I'm probably okay leaving that one off my viewing list. <laughs> um, but Craig Brewer, I think a good good, good director. Yeah. Uh, Footloose might have been something he was just hired on as a director to do. But um, I think the films he was really invested in, Hustle and Flow and uh, Black Snake Moon, both really good films. Right. This is a biopic. It's a biopic about comedian, film producer, actor, and singer Rudy Ray Moore. Okay. Eddie Murphy will be starring as Rudy Ray Moore. Uh, he was known for his really raunchy rhymes about pimps and prostitutes. And he broke through Hollywood in the 1970s, really with the success of underground records he released. Okay. Um, it, it's so the film is going to have a little bit of a black exploitation feel to it, which is intentional, I think uh, with what they're trying to tell, okay. but it's a story of, of 
uh, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a pimp. Uh, I'm just you reading the description here. <laughs> named Dolomite, who's wrongly in prison and employs his harem of prostitutes who are martial arts experts to make things right. That was the film that I think he was involved with, and he played the character Dolomite, but okay. he is an actor and a comedian. Okay. This is a biopic about him as an actor. Gotcha. So, uh, interesting. Uh, person in history, I think, in the, 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 the black film culture in the 1970s, and also in comedy, just kind of seemed to be a little bit of a groundbreaker as far as comedy <laughs> goes. So that's going to be him starring. I get the sense that it's going to be a acting movie, you know, a biopic where you're playing a character, and I'm sure there's going to be moments of drama. But sure. the fact that he gets to play a comedian means yeah. I think we kind of get to play a little bit to Eddie Murphy's strengths. So you get to see him cracking jokes and you know, doing stand-up routines and all that could be really fun to see in a film. Hmm. Uh, they just announced that another interesting uh, casting decision was made uh, for uh, the person who became the director of the film Dolomite, which they're okay. chronicling the, the discussion of, is uh, Wesley Snipes. Huh. Wesley okay. Snipes is now signed on to play uh, Duraville Martin, who is an actor who wound up directing Dolomite. Gotcha. Um, hmm. We've also got Mike Epps, Craig Robinson. Okay. Is also in this Titus Burgess. Okay. Um, so we got some really good names in here with this. And uh, the film is written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, who both uh, were involved with Ed Wood, Man on the Moon, and 1408. So Ed Wood, I think, is a great biopic film. If that's the kind of vibe they're going for with this, Interesting. I'm really interested now. Craig Brewer, Eddie Murphy the writers of uh, Ed Wood or involved in the writing of Ed Wood. Yeah, I'm okay. on board. So that's on Netflix and I don't have a date exactly of when it will be. Um, no, it's sometime in 2019. Okay. So still a ways off, but they just finished up some, some hiring. So we'll see what happens. Hmm. Anything spark your interest? Yeah. I mean, I think the things you mentioned, Craig Brewer, I was a big fan of uh, black snake moan. Um, and <laughs> I do subscribe to Netflix already. So oh, good. Okay. So, <laughs> So when this, you know, pops up as it's there, I probably will watch it because I don't have to leave my house. Um, <laughs> there is that. So nothing's so. entered, nothing gained. And it doesn't cost me anything other than the subscription I have anyway. I don't believe so. I, I am interested. I mean, it sounds like there's enough things swirling around there that I'll at least probably give it a little bit of a chance. So. This, I mean, again, it, it's, it almost sounds like a spiritual successor to Ed Wood. I mean, you're talking sure. about someone who... You know, was involved in a film and kind of a, a movement in film at a certain period of time. Probably a very interesting character himself. Sounds like it. You know, and you've got a really big star playing the main character in the biopic. And then you've got the same writers. I mean, could be really interesting. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Come on, Eddie. Make this be the <laughs> this one. Be Make it. this be the one where you start making some really great career choices from here on out. Could be good. Um, I, I'd like to see that happen. Okay, so that's the film news I've got to share okay. so uh, unless there's anything else i think we'll just move right on into how we close out the show which is you and i both sharing a film that we'd like to recommend people check out or at least be on the lookout for if it's not available quite yet online chris I, i've been chatting the, the last little bit here why don't you let me know of anything that you want to recommend to the audience here so i'm gonna recommend a movie that came out it's a western stars kurt russell and it came out in 2015 the same time he also did a western called the hateful eight which we actually reviewed here on the show yes um and the reason i'm mentioning that other film other than the fact it's a western and stars kurt russell is because <sighs> It's weird to me that Bone Tomahawk, which is the film I'm going to recommend, hmm. um, I liked so much more than The Hateful Eight. Um, okay. The Hateful Eight, 
it had elements that I did like it, but I feel like it was just Quentin Tarantino, a kid in a candy store, and he just got so distracted in making the movie that he kind of didn't rein himself in and make hmm. a good movie. It was really long. Um, even though he's known for gratuitous violence, I feel like here he just kind of went over the top. And it was just, it was kind of like, okay, we've seen you do that. And it's just, it didn't add anything to the movie. It just kind Interesting. of lost yeah. purpose. I, I, I'm with you on um, that. It just, so overall, if you want to hear our review of that, go back in our archive and listen to why we weren't that big on Hateful Eight. But yes. um, Bone Tomahawk is a Western and it has snappy dialogue between the actors that kind of like Tarantino type dialogue, these interesting characters. And they, I just really like the way you get a sense of who they are. But like a Tarantino film, the whole idea is that there's a kidnapping in this small Western town. And then they have to go in search of the woman who was kidnapped. And the people who kidnapped her are a bunch of basically cannibals, <laughs> cannibal mm. cave dwellers. Wow. And they are really violent. So there is no real disturbing violence until like the last 20 minutes or so when they catch up to the cave dwellers and man, does it get intense then? Wow. So okay. I'm not saying it's not, a, yeah. but up until that point, there's just a lot of interesting dialogue between Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, who plays the husband of the woman who was taken and Matthew Fox. Who, oh yeah. You know, I don't really, other than Matthew Fox being in lost, he just kind of dropped off the face. Well, of the party of five. Me. And I see, I never watched that show. Oh, um, I know. Um, I never watched Friends either. Um, so it's like these big shows everybody uses as cultural touchstones. But um, I really, really liked Matthew Fox in this. And he is playing a completely different person than the person he played, obviously, if he's in the Old West, yeah. than he did in Lost. Like he's this snappy dresser, kind of like woman or ladies man thing who thinks he's you know, cooler than he really is. Yep. But it's, it's awesome. Wow. Um, and he's really good. Kurt Russell... He's playing Kurt Russell, kind of, but he's he's really, really, really good in this. And then I actually didn't recognize him at first, but uh, Richard Jenkins plays Chicory, who's kind of oh, like a deputy like of Kurt Russell. Yeah. So you've got Patrick Wilson, Kurt Russell, Matthew Fox, and Richard Jenkins, and they're really, and David Arquette's actually in it for a little bit too. Um, so a lot of really kind of big names, and this movie just kind of came and went. And I didn't, I kind of had heard of it, but not really. Um, maybe because it just suffered under the tidal wave that was, you know, the Western of the year, sure. which was Quentin Tarantino's. Yeah. But uh, I say if you like Westerns and then don't mind some really violent and brutal, like, mm. you know, blood and gut stuff towards the end, it's a really interesting watch. And it kept me engaged. And like, I was really, I really wow. enjoyed spending time with the characters and their, their, you know, clever dialogue. Back that one surprised me, Chris. So I, I mean, I, yeah, it's not one I would have expected to hear you recommend. I, I, and you know, it's the running time flew by for me. It's two hours and 12 minutes, which is oh, wow. Long. So, you, um, so it's not like it's a 90 minute movie either, but something about it just really, it kind of hung together for me and I really liked it. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I wanted to seek it out because I'd heard good things. And I was like, well, I wonder how good it'll actually be. And when I saw it, I'm like, wow, I, I really, I really liked this. Oh, that's cool. So, that is awesome. Um, it's kind Love of a it. strange little movie. Um, yeah. Adventure slash drama slash definitely a little bit of horror in there, but, uh, Bone wow. Tomahawk. Check Bone it out. Tomahawk. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, my recommendation is probably very different, a type of film. Okay. And that I am recommending a documentary. 
It's a documentary I had a chance to catch up with. Unfortunately, it's probably not one you're going to be able to find online at the time of this recording. Now, if you're downloading this episode much later on, it's probably available by now. So you actually saw this one in the theater? I did. I did. But I also have a feeling it'll probably be on a Netflix-type service pretty soon because it's not getting a big release. And it's really just playing in specialty theaters, quite honestly. This is a very niche documentary. The name of it is Film Worker. It is a one-word title, Film Worker. And so it's about a cafeteria worker. <laughs> right. Yes, okay. exactly. Uh, it is about an individual named, um, oh gosh, I already forgot, Leon Vitali. Okay. He is an actor who back in the 70s was uh, starting to make a little bit of a name for himself. Okay. He had some very small parts and, and getting some recognition. He was given a small part in a certain film by Mr. Stanley Kubrick called Barry Lyndon. Oh, yeah. So he had a small part in that film, but actually Stanley Kubrick saw something really interesting in Leon and actually expanded his part during the production of the film. So So he had a role, but he actually made it bigger. He made it bigger because he really liked what he saw. Well, the feeling was mutual. Leon also became pretty enamored with Stanley Kubrick as a filmmaker. Hmm. And instead of continuing his path upward to be an actor that he was very clearly on the path to do, he gave up acting and decided he was going to want to work with Stanley Kubrick. Exclusive. That that was his new job. That's his job. So he spent the rest of his working career up until Stanley Kubrick's death, basically being his right hand man. Okay. He did everything from running errands (laughs) to helping him select actors for films. So uh, most notably Leon is kind of credited as being someone in the film. They, they talk about this where he found the young child actor to play Danny in The Shining hmm. and actually became kind of Danny's coach, acting coach a little bit as the production was going on. He also was the one who came across the two young girls who played the twins in The Shining, oh, wow. which, interestingly enough, according to the film, was not originally going to be a set of twins. It was just going to be a single girl. But as they were searching for these girls, Leon found the twins and said, nope, this is, this is what I think you need to do. Hmm. And sure enough, Stanley Kubrick's like, yeah, I agree. That's what we're going to do. So he became a little bit of a you know, kind of uh, advice giver and kind of helping out. But also he was kind of a running errands and doing anything that Stanley needed done. During this time that he was working with Stanley Kubrick, there were only three films made. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, because this is after... Well, Stanley Kubrick, and he didn't make tons of films. He didn't make right? tons of movies. True. So the three movies he was involved with were um, uh, The Shining. Okay. And he was involved with... Um, hold on, I had it up here a second ago. Uh, he was Full Metal Jacket. Okay. And then Eyes Wide Shut. Okay. I mean, that was the three. So that, total of four, but he was very Right. Cool. He was but an yeah, actor okay. in one, but as far as being an assistant or kind of being involved in gotcha. the production, it was just those three movies. Hmm. So one thing I thought the movie could have done better, it, it was not to me the best made documentary, although the topic I thought was fascinating. Um, it left me a lot of questions about exactly what Leon was doing in all those years in between the films being made because, you know, they did hint to some degree that Stanley Kubrick had him doing a lot of other work for him as kind of his business. Supposedly there's a lot of foreign versions of trailers of films of his that he's releasing and distribution <laughs> that Leon kind of helped coordinate. Like okay. you actually see some real behind the scenes footage, like real, like almost home movie footage of Leon working in Stanley Kubrick's offices and Stanley would come in and have a dialogue and he's just surrounded by mounds of films and canisters and boxes. Wow. So he was kind of helping organize all the 
distribution schedule and recutting of trailers and all these things that was going on in between hmm. uh, actual production. Interesting. I will say the film was interesting in that we uh, got some uh, interviews with some of the actors from some of Kubrick's films. Okay. Uh, Ryan O'Neill, who was in Barry Lyndon, did speak about that and kind of the role that Leon played in that film and how it translated to Leon playing a more production assistant role to, to Stanley afterwards. Gotcha. Um, the young boy that played Danny in The Shining is now fully grown and is, oh, is interviewed wow. in the film, which is really interesting to see. <laughs> okay. um, and then we also had um, Matthew Modine from, from Full, Full Metal, Metal Jacket, Jacket talking yeah. about kind of the experiences there. Yeah, I will say I think it's really interesting. It did leave me with a few more questions. I don't know if I really ever quite bought exactly what it is that Leon became so infatuated with Stanley Kubrick that made him want to leave his acting career to go do this. Gotcha. Even after there's moments and we see some of this either in through interviews or a little bit through some footage of Kubrick didn't really treat him very well. I mean, he treated him sometimes like a, like a lackey, like a go do this for me. I need this and go fix this. Um, so you'd wonder what, you know, I never got enough of a feeling of why he stuck around as much as he did. Um, and then also there was that question, like I said, about, you know, there's these big gaps of time. I think there was like 12 years in between Full Metal Jacket and Eyes Wide Shut that he's still working for Kubrick. But I don't really know what you do for 12 years <laughs> during that time. Hmm. So a couple questions I wish it would have fleshed out a little bit more. And plus the cinematography, I mean, just, you know, the documentary cinematography is not the best in the world. It, uh, like it actually looked a little more homegrown than I expected it to be. Really? But again, the topic is fascinating. I think just hearing some of the the backstories, hearing some of the interviews was really fun. So I definitely recommend it if you are a fan of film, movies about filmmaking, especially if you're a fan fan of Stanley Kubrick. It's well worth the watch for sure. I mean, people who listen to the show know that I'm a huge Stanley Kubrick fan. So it sounds like when this comes out, whether it be on iTunes or something, I need to, I should probably seek this out because I'll probably find it interesting since I'm such a big fan of Stanley mm-hmm. Kubrick. Yeah. Okay. No, you definitely need to watch You okay. would, you would appreciate it. You'd probably appreciate it more than I did. Okay. I'm a, I, I like Kubrick's films. I'm not as big a fan gotcha. as you are. Uh, I love films and documentaries about the art of making films. So that's what kind of drew me to want to see this. I'm glad I did. I just, I think it could have done more. Okay. Um, I think it could have done a little more. I don't, we don't really know much about Leon's family. Supposedly he had kids and we just really? didn't really, yeah, we just didn't really see much of the impact there. I, I just, I think it kind of skimmed the surface on more things about him as a person and it spent more on the production and with Kubrick and all, which is great. Very mm-hmm. interesting, but it leaves you with something at the end wondering, okay, I still don't really know why, like, why did he do all this? <laughs> like, because then, you know, Kubrick passed away. Sure. And he's like, and he's, this guy's still, he's not an old guy yet. He's still got a lot of career life left in him. Right. Kind of wonder what, what do you do now? now like what, 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 he, what happens? Because huh. I think he probably envisioned himself working with Kubrick for another 20 years. Wow. So I don't know. That was just a, it's an interesting film. Sure. Very, very, you, know, you definitely need to check okay. it out. Um, you would, you would appreciate it probably more than I did. Even so. Okay. All right. So that's our recommendations. Uh, Chris, with a very interesting choice of Bone Tomahawk. I'm actually <laughs> really intrigued to see that film now. Uh, it looked interesting when it came out back in 2015, but now hearing that Chris gives it his thumbs-up seal of approval, I'm, uh, I'm interested. And then my film from 2017, it's just now getting some limited release, is Filmworker. Uh, documentary. I didn't even mention the name of the director, but the director of the film is uh, Tony Ziera. Oh. Um, just to get that out there. And again, I, I don't 
think you'll be able to find it anywhere online right away, but maybe uh, after, shortly after hearing this episode or wait a couple months, I think there may be some opportunities to see it if I had to guess, either a Netflix or Hulu or somebody picking it up as a documentary. Okay. So that is our show for today. So Chris, we tossed out a lot of opinions. We reviewed, we discussed news. If anybody listening to this said, I don't agree with them or <laughs> I wholeheartedly support their, their, their messaging, how would they share that, 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 that messaging with Probably us? Probably the best way to do that is send us an email at info at the mesh.tv and just mention Foot Candle Films in the subject line. And like Alan said, tell us what you like, didn't like, how you disagree with us, or tell us that you just think we should go see every horror movie and only discuss horror movies from here on out on the show because we're being too much of babies or something. <laughs> yeah, um, right. But yeah, that's a good way to get in touch with us. Um, also, Alan and I have accounts on Letterboxd where we keep track of movies that we see and try to sometimes rate them. Um, but that's also where you can uh, follow yeah. the show. And we would be remiss if we did not mention yeah. um, from now until September, you'll keep hearing us <laughs> say this. Uh, our film festival this year is September 28th through the 30th and it's coming up and we look forward to hopefully in a couple months, probably in July sometime we'll announce the actual um, lineup of yeah. films. But it's, it's going to be a good one. We're looking forward no, to it. No, we're really excited. So plan on probably around mid-July time frame. That's kind of a broad window. But in that middle part of a month, somewhere in that neighborhood, we should be announcing the schedule and films. And then tickets will be going on sale fairly soon after that, that announcement as well. Again, it'll be a great weekend in Western North Carolina. We'd love to have you. It's uh, probably between 30, 32 films that we'll end up showing between short films and, and feature-length films over the course of a three-day weekend. So it uh, should be a lot of fun. We're very excited. It'll be our fourth year. That's right. Fourth year during the festival. So that's everything we've got going on. So, Chris, thanks so much, as always, for spending a little time with us here and uh, talking about some films. And for Foot Candle Films, uh, we will talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.